0: Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore n j Watson. And today on this joyous occasion, we are celebrating the holidays slightly a bit later than usual this year, but also we're celebrating the end of the year by taking a look back at 2020, especially for Paper Team, but also celebrating you, our listeners, our fans. As always, we could not do this without you, so we appreciate
1: you. Yeah, and who wouldn't want to celebrate the end of the year 2020? (laughs) Absolutely. So let's get straight to it.
0: All right, well, let's begin by some shout outs. As we just uh, mentioned moments ago, we wanted to thank all our fans, especially our 2020 Patreon fans, old and new, including Andrew,
1: Andy, Anthony, Ben, Carrie, David, Derek. E. Levi's. Eli Emma. Erica. Isabel. James. JB. Jennifer. KW. Latoya. Laurel.
0: Leanne. Lindsay. Marklin. Matt. Maisie.
1: Michael. Michelle. Montana. Nathaniel. Neil. Hen. Patrick. Paul. Another Paul. <laughs> Rachel. Ray. Rob. Ryan. Sean. Tobias. And Tony. That's a lot
0: of names. So thank you all for helping us this year. It's been a difficult year for many people. And so that's why we appreciate it now more than ever.
1: Yeah, thank you. We couldn't do this without you. Literally, you're the, you're the folks keeping us going. So we, we appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. And uh, usually last year, uh, at this time, we announced some paper team news, especially regarding the beginning of 2020 at the time. Obviously, now it's a bit difficult to plan things ahead. I remember last time we announced our mixer, which ultimately went uh I was going to say viral, but it went virtual. Let's not confuse words here. Uh, So we can't really predict exactly what we're going to do next year. But as we will uh, discuss later in this episode, we have some goals that we set for ourselves. So tune in for that later in this episode. But now let's look back at Paper Team 2020. (laughs) All right, well, first off, let's look at the goals that we set for ourselves last year. At the end of 2019, we set goals to hit this year of uh, 2020. Our fifth year of the podcast is uh, completing as we speak. So did we
1: accomplish our goals? What are some of the things that we promised last year and did we accomplish them? Well, we said we were going to do more fellowship episodes, and we did. We uh, did an entirely new fellowship series for this year, hitting uh, each of the major networks. And uh, I think that it was bigger and better than ever. Yes. And we
0: even increased that by
1: uh, getting on, I think, one or
0: two extra people, extra mentorship and fellowship people on the podcast. So every year we are increasing that bank of database and hopefully maybe last or next year, rather, we are going to keep following up and see all the ever evolving changes of those fellowships. And speaking of another thing that was more guest dependent that we wanted to do last year for this year was a showrunner series. And as you can imagine, besides Mike Scully earlier this year, We didn't really do a showrunner series or many showrunner episodes at all. And uh, that's in part because of the obvious elephant in the room. It was very difficult this year more than ever to bring in guests on the podcast, whether in person in the first couple of months of the year or even virtually. It was very difficult to logistically figure things out. So we kind of put a pin on this, but we want to revisit this later.
1: Yeah. There were obviously a number of challenges posed. We couldn't record in person anymore. We had to go to a remote setup. And then once you have guests on, you kind of require the guests to have a certain level of audio and recording equipment and, you know, just figuring out their whole kind of situation with that and the timing. So, you know, we did our best, but uh, you'll probably have noticed that there were a lot fewer guest episodes than usual this year. Another goal that we had back in 2019 for this year was to do more Writers Guild content, uh, having perhaps guests on from the guild, talking about a lot of the initiatives, and movements that have come up with pay up hollywood the nba negotiations the ongoing fight with the ata and unfortunately that's another one that we didn't quite manage to hit i think that we tackled a few areas we brought on the wgaw committee of black writers to talk about what they were going through and what they've been pushing for but we didn't really have anyone on the the board of the writers guild or anything specifically on the the current kind of fight with the agencies for a couple reasons
0: yeah it was kind of a mixed bag i would say on one hand we did tackle some topical issues as you just mentioned we had the Writers Guild West, the Black Hawks. on the podcast. We did a whole episode about assistant negotiations and so forth. We actually had in our 200th episode, some Guild board members on our podcast, but we didn't really talk about the Guild as such, especially in a year that was in part about negotiations. We kind of failed bringing those people on, even though we could have, depending on those things. But it was uh, challenging in the same way that for Sharners, it was challenging bringing them on this year. It was also challenging to figure out the WJ people that we could bring on and and timing it correctly, because obviously given the union constraints, it was difficult to navigate that. So hopefully moving forward, we can bring more of those people on. Uh, it's an ongoing conversation. It's not a one and done thing, obviously. Uh, again, it's much more about focusing on the different issues as opposed to just the guild at large. So targeting those things is important. And in addition to the ATA fight, in addition to pay up Hollywood and the assistant angle, this year introduced another a huge topic with COVID and remote work and all those things that we did talk about. a lot. So sort of uh, three major uh, industry changes almost that we needed to discuss and we discussed some of those. It's going to take time. Yeah,
1: exactly. So we'll see how everything pans out next year, but there's a lot to cover and a lot to discuss. So hopefully when things go a little bit more back to normal, we'll be able to dive into that further. And on that note, last year, we wanted to do uh, not only a second
0: Paper Team Mixer, but more live events, including a WonderCon, Comic-Con, and the FF panel, our 200th episode, and a uh, spoiler alert, live panels and live events are not a thing as of now. But we did hit a lot of those things, albeit virtually. We did do our virtual Paper Team Mixer. It was the very first virtual mixer that we did. It was a success. And obviously, very recently, we did our live stream 200th episode event, which was a huge success. It was three and a half hours long, and it was logistically something that I don't believe could have even happened if we had done a live thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think in the same way that you get presented with obstacles, you get presented with opportunities. And I think that we really made the most of our circumstances and our situation and turned it into something that was uh, pretty amazing. So we hope you all enjoyed that. And maybe we can consider more of that in the future.
0: Exactly. And uh, another thing that we discussed that we wanted to do last year was a second mentorship because uh, Paul's mentorship abruptly ended. And well, obviously, you know, we did do that. In fact, we're towards the tail end of that mentorship. Last week, we had Ben discuss his first draft of the parking and uh, pretty soon we'll have a revised draft next month. And uh, who knows where we're going from there.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's important to us to do these mentorships to kind of give back to people and provide opportunities. So it's been a really fun process. And it seems the feedback we've gotten from our listeners is that it's actually really helpful. You know, one of my concerns was that perhaps it would be too specific to one person or their script and no one else would really care about it. But I think that there's been a lot of general lessons about writing and the writing process that people have been able to take out of that and uh, see the process kind of unfold in front of their eyes. Absolutely.
0: And uh, did you want to lead
1: us into our final goals from last year? Yeah, uh, our last goal was to uh, turn out more Patreon content and be a little bit more active on our social media channels. I think we've done at least one of those. We've posted on Patreon, yes, correct, but perhaps not to the extent that we want it
0: to. Both of those things are kind of like the guilt stuff. It's uh, stuff that we are evolving and adding every year and every month, obviously. We're not nearly where I feel like we should be going, but I feel like we're gonna get there at some point. Maybe uh, when we have a TikTok and we add uh, even more social channels.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think uh, just a, a basic goal for us would be to be posting all of the episodes regularly on Twitter and Facebook and on the page and keeping a little bit closer track of the Facebook group and promoting discussions and conversations there. You know, we're both, unfortunately, pretty busy with everything else going on on top of the podcast, so we haven't had as much opportunity to do that. But I think our goal will certainly be to do a little bit more of that moving into the next year. All right, let's move on
0: to our next segment, which is a regular segment. Every year we do a little thing. Welcome to the Paper Team Quiz of the Year. How are, you, how are you feeling, Nick? Are you ready to be quizzed on 2020 in the Paper Team Year?
1: I've been studying up. I'm uh, totally ready for this. I'm not ready.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, let's look at 2020 in uh, Paper Team news and stats. And uh, first off, we got to look at the top five new episodes of 2020 not necessarily of all time we've covered that ad nauseum and uh, there's been some changes there that we can talk about in a moment but overall what do you feel have been the top five new episodes of 2020 Uh, in
1: popularity wise yes in the most uh, downloaded okay all right i'm gonna say um our 2020 tv writing program updates pt-176 would most likely be one of those
0: well, not only is it one of those, it is our most downloaded 2020 episodes with over 2,500 downloads by itself.
1: Well, there you go. That's awesome. Ding, ding, ding. i going to say the uh, Nickelodeon Fellowship, which is PT179, uh, is going to be another popular one this year.
0: Well, not only are you right again, but it is our second most popular episodes with over 2,300
1: downloads. Wow. Let's see if I can get them all in order. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take a guess that our tv pilot 301 which was pt 184 uh, was also in the top five
0: well actually tv pilot 301 was not in our top five it was in our top seven if you want to call it that with nearly 2,000 downloads so just to give you a threshold our seventh episode still has 2,000 downloads
1: so nice you got two more chances all right i'm gonna say pt 171 tips and tricks for the tv industry is going to be in there
0: Ding, ding, ding. This is our fourth, not third, fourth most
1: popular episodes with nearly 2200 downloads. All right. And my next guess is going to be PT 172, uh, show running Duncanville and the Simpsons with Mike Scully.
0: Ah oh, no, that was in our top 10, but it did not crack our top five. Let me give you the two last episodes that you did not name. Our third episode of the year 2020 was PT 177, COVID-19 in Hollywood, how we adapt. This was the last episode that we did before taking a two month break. And this was our third most popular episode of the year. I'm pretty sure we can figure out why, but in part it was because we gave practical advice on how we are adapting. And this was right during the crisis, at the top of the crisis. So it wasn't months and months later of uh, adapting. It was really, this is how we're reacting, how we're going virtual in our different writers rooms and how we're figuring things out. And clearly this was uh, advice that people found
1: valuable in those times. Yeah, I can see why people would uh, want to figure that out, especially with all the uncertainty that was going on. So that's cool. And uh, fifth and certainly not least,
0: PT165, tell us about yourself crafting the personal pitch. This was the very first episode of 2020, and it made our top five of the year with uh, nearly 2,100 downloads. So we can see
1: how even our five episodes cover a wide gamut of uh, content. Yeah, that's awesome. That was actually going to be another one of my choices. I figured that might be a a popular one with people. So great to know what people were responding to this year.
0: Well, in addition to different episodes being popular this year than last year, we also had a bit of changes in terms of who our listenership is or comes from around the world in terms of popularity. Now, obviously, as we've discussed ad nauseum, the first country that listens to most is obviously the U.S. Second is the U.K. Third is Canada. Fourth is Australia. But what is fifth? Hmm.
1: I'm going to say Brazil. No, Brazil,
0: uh, which was mentioned last year, actually, is not our fifth. And it's not even in our top 10. Uh, uh, I'll just give you the other one. Six is New Zealand. Seventh is Israel. Eight is Germany. Ninth is Ireland. But fifth is India.
1: India is one of our most listened to locations in the world. That's awesome. Um, Welcome to all of our listeners from India. Hope you are uh, enjoying the show. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, there's been a growing uh, industry over there of television that have
0: uh, crossed borders. I know, especially on YouTube and other platforms, there's been uh, more and more popularity in terms of India content distributed in the U.S. and in more Western countries. So it's great to see there's
1: a bit of crossover here in terms of our content with India. Yeah, it's always cool just to see that we are reaching uh, a wider audience around the world, and hopefully uh, you're finding it helpful. <laughs> All right. Now that we've looked
0: at some popular moments or rather popular episodes from Paper Team in 2020, let's look at the best of 2020, our favorite shows, favorite movies, books, and so forth. And let's start with favorite shows of 2020. Uh, Nick, what was your favorite drama slash
1: one hour show? Yeah, for me, I really loved uh, Mandalorian season two. Uh, I think that they've really just uh, built upon the foundations that they had there already and explored uh, the world in the Star Wars universe in a really special way. I think one of the things that I love about it is that they have made Star Wars a setting rather than a genre. It doesn't have to be a four-quadrant family-friendly action blockbuster every time we're in the Star Wars universe. You know, they are playing with different genres every episode. There was one that was more of was an homage to Alien or Aliens. There was an, an homage to more of like a Jaws type monster film. There's like a Western uh, train heist sort of thing So I think I'm really enjoying what Disney have been doing with uh, the Star Wars properties And Mandalorian in particular
0: Interesting. Yeah. I have not seen the second season of Mandalorian, but I am excited to see it based on people's opinions on it. It's interesting because as we record this episode, very recently, Disney announced it's late for upcoming years, including I think uh, 10 or 11 Star Wars shows in the coming years. So clearly they're going all in on the Star Wars universe and uh, who can blame them? Yeah.
1: Inject them directly into my veins.
0: <laughs> All right, on my end, I am going to go a bit off script here in the sense that So far, obviously, we have mostly been talking throughout the years about American shows, especially when it comes to favorite one-hour drama shows. What are your favorite shows? We usually go anglophone over here, but for once, and perhaps it is because this year, more than ever, I haven't been watching as many American one-hour shows as I used to be. I've been watching much more comedies, half hours, as well as unscripted content. Uh, And so I've been exposed to slightly less one-hour American content than usual. And uh, fear not, I will be watching all this content at some point in my life, but just not right now. But with that said, one show that I have been watching and uh, recently finished is a French show called Baron Noir. And it's essentially kind of like a house of cards except French and uh, without a predator as an actor in its lead. It's about this political Machiavellian character maneuvering his way around French politics, and it is a relatively limited amount of uh, episodes. I think it's about six to eight episodes every season, and it's been going on since 2016. However, uh, kind of like the UK style in France, uh, we do those shows uh, over a longer period of time, so it's only three seasons, and the third season was this spring. I got to say, even if you're not familiar with French politics, I definitely recommend if you get access to Baron Noir somewhere to watch it. It might even be on Netflix. Honestly, I've not checked yet, but this is definitely a show. If you're into politics, I definitely recommend.
1: Nice. That yeah, sounds fun. I mean, not fun, but you know what I mean. One other drama show I wanted to mention was actually Devs on Hulu, which is an Alex Garland TV series, the uh, filmmaker who did Annihilation and Ex Machina. I thought that was a really special and unique TV show as well, That very thought-provoking. So uh, I enjoyed that one quite a bit as well. Next up, let's take a look at what our favorite comedies and half-hour series were this year. What were yours, Alex?
0: Well, I'll mention a couple. Number one that ended this year was, of course, The Good Place. The Good Place really nailed the landing, which is not easy to do in television. But really, the last season was excellent. I could talk ad nauseum about the show, but I won't. I'll mention the second show that I wanted to talk about, which was my second favorite half hour comedy show of the year. And that is How To With John Wilson on HBO. And the series is EP'd by none other than Nathan Fielder himself. I love Nathan Fielder. Nathan For You is one of my favorite shows of all time. But How To With John Wilson is a bit of a different show slightly. It's more of a documentary, docu-series type format. So still similar to Nathan For You. But this is much more about John Wilson, the sort of character, giving tutorials in New York City and helping people deal with their own personal issues. And there's a wide gamut of uh, topics covered on the show, but it's kind of funny to see how one thing goes into the next and into the next thing. And by that, I mean, it's akin to Nathan For You, where Nathan usually gave a pitch to a business on how to solve a specific problem. But as the episode unfolded, you got to see how kind of like a snowball, it would escalate to another thing and another thing and another thing. And so it's similar in that vibe to Nathan For You. So if you're at all, a fan of Nathan Fielder, I definitely recommend How To with John Wilson.
1: That's awesome. I really love Nathan For You. I think that it's one of the smarter shows out there, so I think that'd be a really fun one to check out. For me this year, my sort of unexpected surprise that I discovered stumbling over HBO Max one night was the Harley Quinn animated series. And I had heard about this. A friend of ours works on it, Adam Stein, who I was also on Final Space with. And I just previously hadn't had a chance to check it out because I think it was on the DC Universe streaming series, which I didn't have. And... Was blown away. I think it's one of the most underrated and surprisingly not well-known animated sitcoms out there right now. It really turns a lot of stuff around cleverly from the Batman universe and uses that in a very irreverent kind of fun way. I think if people enjoy Rick and Morty, if they enjoy BoJack, that sort of stuff, they'll really love Harley Quinn.
0: Interesting. I'll have to check it out. I admit I've not seen that many animated series this year, but I've definitely heard a lot of good things about Harley Quinn. And it's a portion of the universe that I'm intrigued by. Uh, So I will have to take a look. Now, as mentioned, because of uh, COVID and other things, I've personally turned more into unscripted content. So let me ask you, what are some of your favorite or your favorite unscripted show of
1: 2020? Uh, yeah, again, another thing I just sort of stumbled across on Netflix was a series called Love on the Spectrum, and it's an Australian docu-series about um, people on the autism spectrum who are dating uh, and going out and trying to sort of find love and partnership, and uh, it was just a really, again, interesting sort of insight. You know, I have family members who are on the spectrum, uh, and so it was kind of fascinating to see how folks who are dealing with that adapt to these social situations, and in particular love and romance and their approach to that. Yeah, it just provided a really interesting insight and lens and into that world that I think a lot of us may take for granted and how that can be different for somebody who is on the spectrum.
0: Wow, that's really cool. I have been watching other Netflix uh, dating shows, so maybe I'll I'll, uh, watch a love on the spectrum. I I think it's on Netflix, right? Uh, Yes, it is excellent. I watched a couple of other unscripted shows I wanted to highlight. The first one is one I believe I mentioned on our paper patron episodes, and that is the show Legendary on HBO Max. And if you're not familiar with Legendary, it's a reality competition show about voguing, exploring the world of ball culture. And it premiered earlier this year. There's a $100,000 grand prize, and the judges include Jamila uh, Jamil, Megan The Stallion, a bunch of other people. And it kind of follows different algae house members, uh, especially from uh, specific uh, houses that compete in the show as they navigate through those nine different balls as the show progresses, those nine episodes. And visually, it's stunning. I mean, the production value of the show is unbelievable, especially considering it's essentially a dancing competition. I expected it to be pretty average. I mean, even something like America's Got Talent, which you know people enjoy and I can enjoy sometimes, it doesn't have the same warmth as uh, legendary which on a scale uh, in terms of the you know the set and the audience is much more reduced than something like america's got talent and yet visually they do really interesting things so i definitely recommend legendary if you have not seen it at all and if you're at all interested in dancing the other show i will mention and uh, this is a show that uh, you may or may not be familiar with is the voice but not the voice from america which i also watch but the voice from
1: australia and Nate, did you, have you ever seen the voice australian version Uh, You know, when I was younger, I watched Australian Idol. I don't know if I've ever seen the Australian version of The Voice. Perhaps it was a little bit after my time in Australia. I just wasn't watching as much TV then. Possibly. Yes. I think the
0: Australian version premiered in 2011 or 2012, thereabouts. You should be familiar. And I know we texted about this at some point, but this season, there were a few challenges because of COVID, but the judges were pretty excellent. You had Boy George, Kelly Rowland, and two people I did not know before watching The Voice Australia, but you are familiar with. One is Guy Sebastian, who you told me is the winner of the first season of Australian Idol. Uh huh, that's right. And uh, the other person is Delta Goodrem, who is, I guess, an icon in Australia. I did not know who this person is, but after watching the show, I'm in love because this person knows everything. Like she can play every single instrument, it's incredible.
1: Yeah no so she <laughs> definitely one of those like homegrown Aussie stars who came up through like her soap operas I think she was a character in Neighbors for a while and then uh, started off her singing career and uh, yeah was sort of a very popular uh, in Australia and I guess maybe hasn't quite broken out from there from what I know but certainly one of those people who a lot of Australians will will know.
0: Wow. Well, I definitely recommend The Voice Australia. Now, the reason why I picked The Voice Australia instead of The Voice uh, US or UK or even France, uh, all of whom I watch, is because I feel like the judges on The Voice Australia, and, and I'm not sure if it's like an Australian thing or Australian TV thing or something like that, but the judges on The Voice Australia are much more honest than the judges on other versions of The Voice. And what I mean by that is that They actually say when a performance isn't great, even uh, to their own people and not in a sort of like a Simon Cowell debasing way, but much more in a constructive criticism way of saying, well, I mean, in rehearsals, you were much better in these performances or this area and that area. And here I didn't feel like you pull your weight or something like that, where it's much more by the performance in the moment and uh, in a way that a lot of the other voice judges generally are much more performative, where it's like, "Good job, good job, clap, clap." As opposed to doing their jobs as coaches and helping their talent.
1: Yeah, I, I suspect that that's sort of partly Australian culture. I think people are just generally a little bit more honest, a little less, uh, a little less pretense. I like to think that you know we're just better people. No. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, well, uh, let's clip that and, uh, and use this as our intro for paper team. All right, uh, next topic is our favorite episodes of the year. Nick, what was
1: your favorite one hour episode? Of 2020. I mean, I didn't watch a whole ton of drama in 2020. I think there was enough drama going on in the world, but uh, there were a couple of shows that I really enjoyed. I'm a big genre guy, so I didn't tend to watch a lot of sci fi and supernatural and fantasy kind of shows. And uh, one of the ones that I've been enjoying a lot is The Boys, uh, which is sort of a superhero. TV show but also very satirical very kind of um, you know commentary on society, especially <laughs> the current state of America. So uh, one of the episodes that I really liked out of this season season two was what I know uh, season two episode 8 and uh, I won't spoil it for anyone I know that you haven't quite caught up yet Alex but this is an episode where there's a big showdown a lot of stuff goes down and it's uh, it's very intense so you can look forward to that.
0: I do, yeah. Much like Mando season two, I only have seen the first season, so this is in my long list of shows to catch up. Maybe in 2025, who knows that, at some point. Uh, I will mention for me, uh, similar to you, uh, like I mentioned before, I haven't seen that many one-hour shows And even the ones I've seen aren't like the, they weren't as compelling as I thought they would be in terms of episodes and so forth. But that said, I will mention a miniseries, so I'm slightly cheating here, but it's still a one hour drama. That is, I Know This Much Is True, which uh, was an HBO miniseries, earlier this year with Mark Ruffalo playing twins. And it was a very dramatic show based on the novel of the same name about one twin suffering from schizophrenia as opposed to the other one who thinks he has his uh, stuff together, but actually doesn't at all. And it's probably worse than you know, the other brothers. So it's sort of this weird dynamic between the two and uh, the family secrets that bind them together or pull them apart. And this uh, drama miniseries, I didn't feel like quite stuck the landing, but the first episode of the show, the premiere episode, was really compelling. So if you are at all into family drama and a pure piece, because this takes place in the 90s, uh, early 90s, so I guess it is a pure piece now. The 90s are pure piece, guys. In that case, I definitely recommend I Know This message True.
1: Yeah, it's one of those ones I've heard people talking about and haven't had a chance to check out. So I'll have to take a look at the very least of the first episode. All right. What about our favorite comedy and half hour episodes from this year?
0: Well, I've got a couple. The first one is not going to be a huge surprise. It's the series finale of The Good Place. The series finale of The Good Place, as I mentioned, much like its last season, really stuck the landing. I really thought this was evocative in many ways, I think, of Six Feet Under. And I say this with meaning. Six Feet Under, the series finale of that show to me is one of, if not the greatest series finale of all time. And I think the writers of The Good Place took inspiration from that show uh, in many ways, but In that episode, they really took inspiration in an emotional way. They really stuck the landing in such a way that it made you cry. It made you feel for all those characters, for what was happening, what was unfolding. But also, while being logical in the way it finished, it was also emotionally cathartic. It was also logical in a way that a lot of series finales, you know, they try to do a big surprise or a big shock, or conversely, they're a bit too predictable and not super compelling. And it's kind of going through the motions. But this episode, I really thought delivered.
1: Yeah. No, this was almost one of my ones as well. It's so hard to nail a good uh, series finale and have people satisfied, you know, the amount of ones that people have kind of complained about. You can think about in recent memory, but uh, this one, this one managed it. It did it. And yeah, it was a cathartic experience for people who had stuck with this show that kind of, you know, grew on you and became something more than you perhaps imagined it would first be. And uh, really paid off in the end. So uh, well done to you, Mike Sure. Uh, for me, my favorite episodes this year of comedy were, uh, firstly, The View from Halfway Down, which was Bojack, Horseman Season 6, Episode 15. It was nominated for an Emmy. It also happened to be written by Alison Taffel, a guest on our podcast and friend of ours. And it was just a really interesting, amazing kind of episode. It felt like a stage play taking place uh, in the same way that, you know, Free Churro, I think, was so good at in the previous seasons. And uh, it was really kind of moving and compelling and just a different experience. It was funny, but also sad and tragic and meaningful and uh, really kind of hit home. So I think that was uh, an incredible one for me. Excellent. Uh, I will also mention uh, another half hour, although it's not
0: technically a half hour, I'm not quite sure, but uh, earlier this year, a lot of shows did revivals or online revivals table reads, and so forth. And one show that I've always loved is Happy Endings, the canceled ABC show. And at long last, they had a little reunion episode where they read scripted material over YouTube uh, with the entire cast. And this event was organized to raise money for, I believe it was Color of Change and World Central Kitchen. But that episode, even though it was a scripted Zoom, uh, I guess a Zoom call in a way, um, it was really compelling and delivered on the jokes in such a way that other Zoom type episodes did not for me. And this one, I was really, really happy that even after all these years, uh, they really managed to pull, in a way, an
1: episode of uh, Happy Endings. I was going to say, when I saw you written on Happy Endings, I'm like, I thought that show finished uh, forever ago, but uh, I understand it's uh, one of this wave of reunion shows, so that's awesome yes. that they managed to, to pull that one off, too. The second episode I wanted to mention, uh, a little bit more lighthearted and fun, uh, was the episode On the Run, from What We Do in the Shadows, which people may know for Jackie Daytona. <laughs> do you watch the series, Alex? I do not, know okay one of the main characters laszlo uh, has an episode where he just runs off from the house and uh, goes and starts a new life in middle america somewhere and becomes human american bartender jackie daytona <laughs> and just kind of like puts on this this whole bit where he's you know he's like, coaching the women's volleyball team in town and like just trying to be like the, the most classic like ordinary uh, midwest american human being that he can and this uh, other vampire played by mark hamill is uh hunting him down because he owes him money or whatever so it's just a ton of fun and that also was nominated for an Emmy
0: excellent I really need to start watching the show I hear so many great things and uh, I love the movie so yeah, it must be amazing it's definitely worth it well and then let's look at some favorite shows that you our audience may or may not have even heard of what is one show that you don't think our audience has ever heard of
1: well, uh, this one is called Auntie Donna's Big Old House of Fun. Uh, and it's an Australian absurdist sketch comedy series which just came out on Netflix worldwide. So perhaps some people have seen it in their suggested videos or or whatever it may be. But uh, I've been tracking the Auntie Donna boys for years. Um, they're an Australian sketch comedy group who've been putting up content on the internet for probably the last 10 years doing live tours. And they're just super funny. They feel like an Australian kind of Monty Python. They really inhabit that spirit of true absurdism and ridiculousness. I know that they're big fans. Fans of the American group Stella as well, and they kind of draw influence from them. So, uh, if you're into that kind of comedy, I think you'll really enjoy Auntie Donna. Interesting, yeah. You
0: mentioned that show to me, and uh, from what you were describing, it kind of reminded me of Mister Show with Bob Odenkirk and uh, David Cross. And so, that's definitely a show that I want to see because I love that kind of humor.
1: Yeah, it's um, connected loosely by a, a sort of a narrative idea, and they go from sketch to sketch doing these things. And yeah, it's. EP'd by Ed Helms as well. He's sort of a, a big part of that. So, uh, yeah, definitely check it out. It's, it's a lot of fun.
0: Excellent. I'm a huge fan of the state and obviously, you know, show Walter, and black uh, Wayne and so forth. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll check it out. Uh, for me, this is a show kind of like uh, with you, with your show. This is a show that I mentioned on our paper patron episodes. Uh, this is a UK show you may know, may not, but it's the game show The Chase. It's a UK game show where people compete against Quizmasters, masters, people who are at the top of the quiz game, so to speak, in terms of they place number one, number two, number three in the world on quizzes. They're quiz masters in every sense of the word, and they compete against them to win prizes. And not only is it a compelling game show in of itself, but the other reason why I mention it is because next year you will probably hear more of it because ABC is doing its own reboot slash remake. A few years ago, the game show network in America did its own. Uh, version of it, which didn't quite land. So ABC is doing a reboot slash remake for U.S. audiences starring the Jeopardy greatest of all time as the three chasers of the U.S. version. So I think it's premiering in early January on ABC in prime time. They're really doing a lot of game shows in prime time. So I'm really looking forward to the American version.
1: Yeah, nice. I think we talked about that one previously, but sounds like it's
0: gonna be a lot of fun. All right, let's move on to other things, because there's not just TV in the world, is there? As much as we wish. Uh, but there no, we love other form of entertainment, including
1: music. So let's look at our favorite album of 2020. What was your favorite album of 2020? For me, it was an Australian band called Something for Kate. They've been a favorite of mine for a very long time. It's been eight years since they released their previous album. So this one was um, a long awaited arrival. And it's called The Modern Medieval. Something for Cater, sort of like an indie rock, alt rock kind of band. But uh, one of the things that I love about them is the lead man, Paul Dempsey just has such a way with lyrics and lyricism. And it's the kind of thing you can listen to the album and the songs over and over again. And on your 30th listen, you'll hear something new or pick up some kind of different meaning that you never really noticed before. So yeah, there's a lot in there and the music is also just incredible. So check that one out. That's awesome. I will check it out. For me, the album of the year, I would
0: say is Phoebe Bridges' Punisher. And uh, I'm a huge fan of Phoebe Bridgers. I'm so happy that she has so much success now. I think she's nominated for a bunch of Grammys and I was probably going to win a bunch. Uh, but uh, she's an excellent singer, songwriter, and I really like the style of her singing, but also of her writing. Uh, I think the style that a lot of people describe it as is a bit emo-folk. I had never heard of this concept before, <laughs> sort of the, that world, but it's kind of emo-folk type uh, because the content is relatively somber and sardonic and it, it hits you in the feels, as they say, but also it has a lot more of a folky nature in the musicality, in the melodies that are on that album. So I, I definitely recommend Phoebe Bridges' Punisher. And I will mention, I learned uh, relatively recently, actually, even though it happened couple years ago that she did a group called boy genius with none other than julian baker whom uh, we've uh, quoted and mentioned on this very context with our favorite albums i think two years ago uh, and uh, lucy dacus so they created a group uh, two years ago called boy genius with one ep i don't think they've done anything since but it was interesting to see how everybody's connected in different ways
1: yeah i just had another friend tell me about that group too and i'd listen to a little bit of their stuff so i'm definitely keen to check check out more of uh, boy genius and phoebe bridges Excellent, and now let's talk about our favorite movies. Uh, Even though 2020 has
0: been a relatively precarious year for movies and uh, movie releases, what was
1: your favorite 2020 movie? Yeah, obviously we haven't been uh, going to movie theaters very much since uh, March. But one film that came out as a sort of a home release thing that I really enjoyed was Onward, the Pixar film. And that came out on Disney+, starring Chris Pratt, Tom Holland. Uh, one of the writers on it was actually a friend of mine, Jason Headley, who I met at the Austin Film Festival years ago. And uh, it was just a really satisfying, feel-good well-told funny visual story it had a lot of homages to dungeons and dragons and kind of fantasy tropes and that sort of stuff in it too so um that one's really really fun
0: That's awesome. Yeah, it's definitely on my list of Pixar movies to watch in the event that I want to cry, because I know it's going to make me cry at some point. Uh, For me, uh, I also have not really been in movie theaters, obviously. So all the movies that uh, really landed for me were movies that I saw at home. And one of those movies is actually Invisible Man. And this is a movie that, I came in with relatively low expectations. The conceit of having a horror movie about a woman being stalked by her invisible abusive boyfriend is something that was already done about 20 years ago with the movie Holloman from Paul Verhoeven with Kevin Bacon and Elizabeth Shue and Josh Brolin. So that was already done. So I came into this movie thinking, okay, it's going to be same old, same old. Uh, But no, it's actually much more of a, a, like, not only a contemporary take, but visually, I thought it was incredible. It kind of reminded me a lot of Haunting of Hill House and a lot of Mike Flanagan's work, uh, notably uh, his movie, *Charles Game, where uh, the director controls what you see. So the way they pen very deliberately hiding And showing information visually is very compelling, especially in a horror setting, in a horror environment. And you're always on the edge of your seat wondering, is the Invisible Man in the frame? Are they not? Is something going to move? Is something going to happen? It's very, very effective. And uh, I really, really enjoyed Invisible Man.
1: Yeah, that's actually a movie by Australian filmmaker Lee Winnell, who was uh, one of the creators of Saw along with James Wan. And uh, yeah, I got to go see that at a screening uh, in Australians in Film at the top of the year before everything closed down. And uh, the director and the producer were there answering kind of questions about the whole film. And I was, again, yeah, very, very pleasantly surprised by the film and how well executed it was, even down to the sound design and the way that they kind of uh, played with that was, that was really clever because so often you're looking at a, an empty frame and wondering what's going on. The sound is so important. But yeah, it was a uh, I think a film a lot of people might have missed, but uh, should definitely go check out.
0: Absolutely. And I will also mention that without spoiling things, there's one scene in a restaurant, in particular around the the middle of the movie or something, uh, that I will say, I will go on the record, is one of my favorite scenes in any movie of all time. And I've seen a lot of movies and a lot of shows. The way that scene in particular was executed was just excellent. So just for that scene alone, I definitely recommend watching Invisible
1: Man. Absolutely.
0: Uh, and I will also quickly mention a couple other movies: uh, "Happiest Season," which was kind of like a fun rom-com around uh, Christmas time. I really uh, found that charming. And then "Hamilton," even though it doesn't quite count, it should technically count because it was going <laughs> to release in theaters and then it released on Disney Plus. But "Hamilton" is definitely a movie, quote unquote, that uh, we all love. We're all fans of the musical, so it at least abhors
1: mentioning here. Yeah, I think it uh, kind of broke crazy records for the most streaming of not only on Disney Plus, but any streaming service of all time. So it's kind of crazy. How about um, those things that are made of paper with uh, printed ink on them? The old relics known as books. What have you uh, been reading on those? Paper books. We should
0: do a podcast about paper books called Paper Books. I've actually been going back in time. So I'm going to break format a little bit and say that I don't believe I have read many 2020 published books this year. However, I've read other kinds of books, and I've been revisiting classics, uh, notably plays that I've not been watching, even though a lot of uh, amazing uh, theatrical companies have been releasing theater film plays online, as we just mentioned, Hamilton. But uh, I've actually been reading the plays themselves, the books. Uh, Some of those I had never read, really. I mean, it's not something that is taught in French high school. You're not going to be reading uh, uh, English plays or something like that, besides Shakespeare, obviously, which is its own thing. But I've been revisiting a lot of those. And most recently, I was reading Death of a Salesman, which if you are at all interested in nonlinear stories, I definitely recommend at least reading death of a salesman it may sound a bit ponderous to read it or whatever but it actually is not it's very modern in many many ways including the way it tells story because if you're not too familiar with the story it's basically about an older salesman who is going senile and doesn't quite recognizes when he is in present day or at least at the time I would say present day and his memories of uh, his time with his kids when they were younger. And so it kind of blurs the line between reality and memory in a way that modern movies have been playing with a lot, Uh, notably Eternal Sunshine or any Christopher Nolan movies. Uh, I believe a lot of those movies actually bear their fruit because of a play like Death of a Salesman. So I definitely recommend it.
1: Yeah, I tried to uh, get into reading some plays a little while back uh, in an effort to hopefully improve my writing, You know, dialogue, scene work, that kind of thing. I think you can learn a lot from playwrights uh, who do that so well, so that's awesome. Uh, my favorite book that I've been reading this year is one called The Dynasty by Jeff Benedict, and it is about uh, the NFL football dynasty of the New England Patriots. Ooh, I think I think you just lost 100 uh, listeners just now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are people who are throwing uh, rotten tomatoes at their stereos or whatever they're listening to this on um but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is the history of the Patriots from the very beginning where Robert Kraft bought the franchise from another family and uh, you know how he kind of like made his way up to that and how he built it out and assembled the team, you know, Bill Belichick, Tom Brady everyone kind of came on board. So, you know, as somebody who kind of relatively recently got into football through my wife who's from Boston and got me into all the Boston sports, uh, it was kind of cool to go back and get all of you filled back in on the history of this franchise and uh, some of the players that I hear people talking about all the time and it honestly it's just a really fascinating story story of how uh, one man kind of built this in football empire to be the most successful of all time. So pretty, pretty great. Interesting.
0: Well, if our listeners were curious about who to stand on this podcast, and Nick is a fan of the Pats, so that should not give you all the information. <laughs> I'm sorry, I am into to throw you the bus. Anyway, let's move on to our favorite guests of uh, Paper Team 2020, our favorite guest episodes, because as you know, we usually do some episodes with guests and others with just Nick and myself. And because of Well, logistics, as we mentioned at the top, we haven't done that many guest focused episodes. I think we've only done about four or five this entire year of uh, podcasting. And uh, let's mention some of our own favorites. The first one that I believe is both of our favorite, and it's going to mention, it's kind of a cop out to be honest, but we both love obviously the 200th episode, which might hold the record for most amount of guests in one episode of Paper Team.
1: Yeah, no, obviously it was a relatively recent one, but yeah, it's a three and a half hours of jam-packed, fun conversation and TV writing wisdom uh, from some of our favorite people that we know and that we've had on over the years, so uh, it's pretty hard to go past that for a favorite episode. That said, if I had to choose a runner-up to that out of my favorite episodes this year, I really did enjoy PT-173 with Mike Scully, as you can probably tell from me, assuming it would be in the top five, but uh, Mike was such a great guest. Uh, gave a lot of really fascinating insight into working, sure, running The Simpsons, now show-running Duncanville. Just one of those kind of uh, classic comedy titans who uh, you can learn a lot from. Excellent. I did love that episode as well. Mike is so open about his process. Obviously, we had him back just now
0: or recently in our 200th episode. He's such an open book about everything. And... uh a very funny guy, obviously, given his job, so not really surprising at all. For me, I will also mention PT181, which was our episode where we invited the chairs of the Writers Guild West Committee of Black Writers, which include Michelle Moore, Hilliard Guess, and Bianca Sams. Obviously, Hilliard has been on this podcast a lot. In fact, I believe with the 200th episode, he became our most guested person on the podcast at least four or five times in different episodes. But that episode was really Fascinating because it was a true in-depth conversation and discussion about systematic racism and injustices in the entertainment industry towards Black writers, but also representation in and out of the writers' rooms and practical ways of being part of the solution. So I really feel like it was a very interesting conversation that I'm very glad we were able to put forth and bring to the attention
1: of our listeners. Yeah, likewise, I think it was one of our most important episodes of the year. So uh, if you didn't catch it, you should definitely head back and take a look. All right, but we also did a lot of more traditional
0: paper team episodes this year because of uh, things. So what are some of your own
1: favorite quote-unquote traditional Team episodes. For me this year, I really liked PT-171 Tips and Tricks for the TV industry. I think any of those episodes where we really just kind of distill it down into really nice bite-sized pieces and reminders for those who perhaps already knew some of that stuff, it's always a really great check-in or kind of first um, introduction to a lot of these ideas that you can then go and explore further in our other episodes, like our um, Pilot 101, 201, 301, uh, all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, always a fan of those. Absolutely. On
0: that note, I do really like, this is again, a slightly more recent episode, but PT-196 in terms of practical advice on how to give script notes. This is something that interestingly has come up often enough on this very podcast. Multiple people have said to us, well, why do you give such succinct and uh, amazing notes, etc., cetera, et cetera. And we're like, well, thankfully we just did a whole episode <laughs> just about that. So uh, you can check that out at PT-196
1: yeah another one i really enjoyed was pt 184 which was our tv pilot 301 and this one came about because i'd sort of been reading a lot of different scripts and talking to a lot of writer friends and one of the things that kept coming up was you know the scope of your story where are you starting this story you know i had sent out this tweet about how most pilots would be better if you took whatever happened at (laughs) the beginning of the kind of third act break if you have three acts in your script and then just started from there because a lot of the time people just spend all this time building things up then finally the inciting incident actually happens around there and we don't even get to see it any of it play out and they're like, tune in next week so anyway i think this is a really good episode to kind of get into where you should start your story and stop your story in a pilot absolutely that uh, episode was just excellent and
0: uh, a real nice continuation to our pt 101 and 201 episodes i will mention on the line between business and craft PC 182 which was a little bit of a debate about comparing TV staffing versus TV selling which is even more prevalent now more than Ever, we kind of weighed in on where we fell and uh, in, in a way that made it seem like it is kind of a false dichotomy. You should not necessarily prioritize one over the other. It uh, kind of goes into uh, the appeal and the advantages of either one in this episode. So if you are at all interested in either TV staffing or TV selling, which let's be honest, is
1: 100% of our user base, uh, you should definitely take a listen to PT 182. Another one that I liked this year was PT 195 10 Myths About TV Writing. This was sort of part one of two of a series. But again, you know, those classic BuzzFeed bullet point lists of 10 things that you, number th- you won't believe number three. But, uh, you know, obviously that's a little bit of a um, marketing ploy, I suppose. But uh, again, I think it just really helps to break it down into here are the 10 most common questions that we get all the time about writing or things that people believe that just aren't true and uh, attempting to dispel those so that people can kind of take to their career in a very thoughtful, mindful way uh, without kind of buying into the misinformation that's out there. And to go along with that, the second part of that episode was PT197, 10 myths about the TV business, sort of the companion piece to that, where we looked at more of the business side of things, networking, breaking in, getting an agent manager, all that sort of thing too. I think that's honestly, there are probably more myths about that side of it than there even are about the craft of TV writing. So that was another important thing that we wanted to address to our listeners.
0: Absolutely. We also did earlier that, year PT 171, which was more tips and tricks about the TV industry. So I definitely concur with Nick that those are all important, practical episodes. On the more slightly discussion theoretical side, uh, there's a couple episodes that I wanted to highlight. One is PT 186, which was less TV, less opportunity. And that was a whole episode where we discussed the current trend, not only of diminishing episode orders, but also shorter seasons, shorter and the smaller writers rooms, less and fewer opportunities for emerging writers and other kind of worrying consequences for television writing in the near future. And this was kind of in response to a lot of conversations that were happening on Twitter and in articles, but also a tandem episode in a way to a one we did last year, PT 125, where we discussed the evolution of access and TV writing incubators. So it was kind of a natural evolution of that conversation into this episode that Perhaps it is slightly less of a sort of a practical advice of it all, but is an important conversation that we had and will continue to have about the state of this business. And on that note, this is more on the practical side. There was PT-168 that I also want to highlight which was an episode all about knowing your worth as an assistant, expectations, opportunities, and negotiations, especially as moments later, very soon after that episode was released, we entered COVID-19 and lockdowns. It was even more relevant than ever to be aware of expectations, opportunities, and negotiations, and ways of valuing yourself as an employee. And a lot of the lessons from that episode I definitely believe you can take, I was gonna to say to the grave, hopefully not to the grave, but you can definitely take to the next levels as a TV staff writer, as you move up that ladder. It doesn't necessarily only apply to assistants. It applies to the entire
1: ladder of a brother's room. So another episode to highlight here. Yeah, please don't uh, take it to the grave anytime soon. That's for sure. <laughs>
0: All right, let's close out this 2020 holiday special by doing a couple of things. Number one, we want to prep for 2021. Like every year, we look at what is ahead and what are some paper team goals that we are trying to achieve? Hopefully, maybe you can go back to live events, but
1: assuming that doesn't happen, what are some of the goals that we want to do in 2021? Yeah. So I think we want to have another go at doing this showrunner series. Uh, We didn't really quite get it off the ground this year because of COVID and other reasons, but hopefully next year we can kind of get this in place and be doing uh, some kind of high level interviews with folks who are showrunning comedies, dramas, and getting uh, the view from kind of that level. Absolutely. We already have sort of a short list of people
0: that we would love to get on the podcast, so we will be making more of an effort to get them this year. I mean, again, we're blessed to have Mike Scully on, so it would be amazing to have more and more guests of that level and that caliber on the podcast in 2021. And on the same side, we want more WGA-related content. All the temple issues that we mentioned before that we want to look at in 2020 are still relevant and are still things that we want to talk about. We would love to get more board members on this podcast to talk about more TV writing related issues because other podcasts do bring guild related people on, but they discuss more general screenwriting topics, which are still important, obviously, but this is a TV writing podcast and we would love to dig deeper into the TV writing side of the guild. So hopefully we can do that next year.
1: Yeah, again, for 2021, I think that we want to have a bit more of a presence on social media for the podcast. So that's posting regularly to Twitter, Facebook, encouraging and cultivating discussion and different sort of topics in our Facebook group as well. I think we've kind of fallen off the bandwagon of that quite a bit, and uh, we'd like to get back to doing that properly. Agreed. The next goal
0: that we want to set for ourselves is more either live streams and or live events. Now, obviously we don't know if we can ever do live events in the history of mankind. Uh, I would think so, but maybe not in 2021. However, we could definitely do live stream events and we both loved the results and process of doing our PT 200 episode live stream to you on Twitch. And I'm definitely of the opinion that we should do more of those. And I think
1: and Nick, you would agree. Yeah, I think it was a a really eye-opening experience for how we can kind of cultivate the uh, direct interaction with um, everybody from all over the world tuning in and not just kind of keeping stuff local to L.A. So like we said before, you know, obstacles become opportunities. Exactly. So stay tuned to our podcast and Twitch. And what is a next goal that we want to achieve
0: in 2021?
1: Yeah, and on that note, uh, with these kind of live events, um, you know, remote live events for the time being, uh, we would like to hold more mixers. Uh, we did an online kind of digital mixer this year, and that went really well, too. So we'd like to be more involved and out there with our community of listeners. Absolutely. Maybe more virtual mixers in the future.
0: And uh, last but not least, we'll see how obviously the mentorship with Ben pans out. But we would love to do either a part three, a third mentorship for 2021, or something else, something we haven't thought of before. And I say this because last time after Paul's mentorship kind of wrapped Abruptly, we did a live table read with our good friend JB June with his pilot. And so that was the kind of interaction that is new. That is something that no other podcast, no other platform has been doing. And so we want to do something similar that is obviously always TV writing related, pilot related, and also audience related. Something that can involve one, oh, if not multiple of our listeners. So we are definitely keeping our minds open in terms of what that would look like.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's important to us to keep uh, empowering our listeners in different ways. and and providing them kind of platforms and opportunities. So uh, we're looking forward to figuring out what that looks like next year.
0: Excellent, and now let's move on as we wrap this episode with our annual gift exchange. Now, evidently, we are remotely recording this episode. We are not physically with each other, so we are not physically exchanging gifts. We went virtual this year. So we decided to purchase our gifts and send them virtually and email them. Uh, so let's uh, start. I don't, I don't even know how we're supposed to do this. Are we unwrapping live on there? I don't even know. But Nick, do you want to maybe tell us what you sent me or something like that? And I can just say, oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> sure. We'll do a digital remote unwrapping. Yes. Uh, <coughs> so. or, may, or maybe I can do... Uh, Ooh, what is this? Ooh, oh, <laughs> an email. It's a, why am I making noise if it's an email? <laughs> nice. Yes, you'll find enclosed in the the wrapping of your email a gift card to uh, your favorite restaurant in the world, IHOP. I figured that uh, even <laughs> if you may not be. <laughs> If you're good, even if you may not be able to use it immediately, uh, I don't know if they do take out or you can get delivery from there, but uh, at the very least, you can kind of plan towards looking forward to uh, sitting down to a nice hot pancake meal at two in the morning or however you tend to frequent your favorite establishment.
0: <laughs> I absolutely love this. In fact, I can tell you that they do pickup and they also do curbside, quote unquote, delivery you'll pick up. Uh, and I know this because I've done this during the pandemic. So you know <laughs> me well. I have done IHOP at uh, whatever hour of the night. What can I say? I love their omelets, actually. I don't, uh, the pancakes I'm a uh, hit or miss on, but the omelets are where it's at the Poblano omelet, if you're ever at IHOP. I don't know, this is not sponsored at all. So I I don't know
1: why we're <laughs> spending
0: uh, 10 minutes here loving IHOP. Anyway, thank you so much. Uh, Let's move on to the gifts that I sent you. And I sent you two little gifts. Now, both of those are games. And I know that you are on the Mac platform. So it was a bit of a struggle to figure out, okay, I want to find games that are relevant to Nick's interest besides Magic the Gathering, because it's it's pretty difficult to (laughs) to do magic-related gifts here. So I was thinking of games that I feel you would both enjoy, but also I found really compelling. And the first game, that I sent you was Baba is You. And if you're at all familiar with video games, then you might be aware of what Baba is You is, but for those who are not familiar with Baba is You, it is a puzzle video game that has very unique rules in that the game, you're almost inventing the rules as you solve those puzzles, as you solve the, the game, because you are a little bunny called the Baba, that's the title character, but on the screen, as you move pieces around, the rules of the game of that level are on screen. So the reason, just to give you an example, the reason why it's called Baba is you is most likely on the screen during the level, you will have three blocks. One is Baba, one is is, and the third is you, but you will have other blocks. And the goal of the game is for Baba, the rabbit, to get to the flag. But if you move uh, blocks around, you can change the rules. So let's say you moved the block that says flag instead of Baba, then the flag is you, so that way you control the flag and you can move the flag to the rabbit and win the game that way. So that's a very small example of just saying you can think it's almost thinking four or five dimensionally. It's
1: a very unique game that I really, really loved. Wow, that sounds uh, complicated on the explanation, but I'm sure once you get into it, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun, so I'm looking forward to checking it out. Exactly.
0: The explanation of the game is much more complex than playing it. It's much more of an organic way of, uh, of playing it and explaining the rules. Now, the other game that I sent you was this game called Kingpins, and I don't know if you ever played the game Age of Empires. Yes,
1: I did. Um, I love that game.
0: Yes. So this is essentially a micro RTS game inspired by Age of Empires. Uh, it's a low resolution game, but it's very compelling and uh, you can play it. It's a real time strategy. That's why I say RTS, but it's a ball down to its absolute essentials. And on the map, it's a very cute game with the fun campaigns and so forth. So you can play solo. But you can also play locally with other people. For example, your wife. You can play a 1v1 game of Age of Empires, but in a very sort of micro RTS way with kingpins. So I definitely, this is another game that really jumped at me this year that I wanted to highlight and uh, and give to you.
1: That sounds super cool. I think I'd be very much into that. I used to play a lot of RTS when I was younger. So uh looking forward to checking that one out too. Thank you. Well, you
0: are welcome. And uh, on that note, we also want to thank our listeners for investing the time to listen to us for now over 200 episodes and uh, everyone else from 2020.
1: Yeah, uh, we also would like to thank Alex Switzky, our stalwart editor who has to deal with all of our nonsense and uh, turn this into something that is listenable to uh, for all of you. Absolutely, we also want to thank Ben Warner
0: for the mentorship and being a mentee, an awesome person to work with and be open and vulnerable to sharing that writing process with everyone.
1: Mm -hmm. And uh, we'd also like to thank all of our other guests this year. We've had an incredible array of folks on here and people who have uh, gone to great lengths to uh, be guests remotely and figure all of the the technical issues out uh, in these trying times. So we really, really appreciate them as always. Absolutely. And uh, last but
0: certainly not least, we, as always, want to thank you, our listeners for investing your time and your energy, as well as our Patreon supporters for investing their money literally in the podcast, in their craft with us through this podcast through 200 and now two episodes of this podcast, four and a half years
1: of Paper Team. Yeah, we say it every time, but we, we literally could not do this without you. It's the reason that we get on here and talk about TV writing stuff is to, to help folks out and to... Uh, encourage and cultivate this community of our paper team listeners so thanks for being a part of it and on
0: that note don't forget as we just mentioned that we are on patreon so if you enjoyed this episode as well as all the other ones we've done this year please consider supporting paper team via our patreon page at paperteam.co slash patreon that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n you will get exclusive content opportunities merch and we can keep producing an amazing show for you every week and every
1: year yeah. So thanks to our listeners for taking the time to tune in and to all of our guests from the year, as we said. You can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co 202. It
0: feels so weird to be in the 200s now, uh, but also I'm on Twitter at TV calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. If you have any thoughts, feedback, questions for this podcast, you can always send them to ask at paperteam.co. And what are we doing next week?
1: Well, next week, we will take a break from the new year, but we'll be back again on Monday, January 11th with an episode all about work-life balance in the TV industry. Absolutely. We are going to start the year right. So we will see you on Monday, January 11th. Have a happy holidays
0: and a great new year.